0: Okay, doc. So, um, so we're not too pushed for time, uh, but I don't want to be too long. Um, well, I, I want to talk about just kind of an introduction to the jhanas and um, a little bit of an overview. And again, a sort of, w- what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? What are we talking about? What's the area we're talking about? So, is that okay? Um, so. Uh, again, just to start with a bit of vocabulary, um, there's this word jhanas, and I'll talk about that, of course. But uh, there's also this word samadhi, which many of you will know. There's also a word samata. Samata tends to mean tranquility. Samadhi, calm or tranquility. Samadhi is a, is more of an umbrella term. At least that's how I use it, and I think uh, I think that's how it was originally used in the text. So. Jhanas are a kind of subset of samadhi, if you like. And samadhi, uh, so uh, it's it's actually quite hard to define, but something like a state of harmonious well-being of mind and body. So mind and body are gathered, coherent, harmonious, um, in some state of well-being. Actually, even that's not quite... Uh, accurate, and you can think, oh, in the formless jhanas, is there a bodily well? Well, there is, kind of. Um, and you can still have pain somewhere, but it's not really overtaking, so it's hard to get an exact definition. Um, but, so, but I use it as a kind of umbrella state. So there's lots of insight states we could talk about, for example, that are still states of samadhi. Because of the insight, because of the letting go, there's a kind of harmonization, a cohesion, um, a unification of mind and body and awareness and, and bodily experience. All that um, cohered, unified, harmonized in some sense of well-being. And there's lots of different flavors of well-being as we'll talk about. So that's what I mean by samadhi. Jhanas are uh, The eight jhanas are a subset of that. Um, And the Buddha described it, he talked a lot about the jhanas, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, Way more than he talked about mindfulness, interestingly. Um, So I'm going to read you uh, quite briefly the the Buddha's description. So he's talking to a bunch of monks. So it's, um, what monks is right concentration? This is the Buddha talking. there is the case where a monk, quite withdrawn from sensuality, withdrawn from unskillful qualities, it's actually withdrawn from sensual desire, uh, withdrawn from unskillful qualities, the Pali, um, enters and remains in the first jhana, rapture and happiness born from that withdrawal, accompanied by directed thought and evaluation, accompanied by thought. He permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this very body with the rapture and happiness born from withdrawal. There is nothing of his entire body unpervaded by rapture and pleasure born from withdrawal. So he describes it kind of technically, the jhana, and then he gives a simile. Just as if a skilled bathman or bathman's apprentice would pour bath powder into a brass basin and knead it together. So in those days, they had bathhouses, and that's where you would go to have a bath and a wash. And there would be someone there who mixes soap powder with water to make your your personal bar of soap for your bath. Okay, and so this this person, this bathman, has this, uh, this soap powder and water, and it's kind of a skill to get it mixed right so that it's not just a liquid mess, but it, that it's got enough moisture in it that it you can give it a good rubbing. And you understand? So, there's some skill in that. So, this bathman, or bathman's apprentice, pour bath powder, soap powder into a brass basin, knead it together, uh, sprinkling it again and again with water, so that his ball of bath powder, saturated, moisture laden, permeated within and without, would nevertheless not drip. Even so, the monk permeates this very body with the rapture and happiness born of withdrawal. There's nothing, uh, no part of the body untouched, etc. So that's the first jhana. That's the, um, basically you've got r- uh, rapture, and we'll talk about this, piti, this, this um, nice, really nice physical feelings that are not coming from sensual contact. I'll talk much more about this. And you've got happiness. And, and the mind is, it's p- that, whole that, that feeling is pervading the body and the mind is really settling down there and feeding on it and getting into it and really alive to that. That's the first jhana. Second jhana. Uh, with the stilling of uh, directed thought and evaluation, with the stilling of thought, um, he enters and remains in the second jhana, rapture and happiness, born of um, uh, composure, born of tranquility, um, unification of awareness, free from directed thought and evaluation. And with confidence, with this internal assurance, he permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this very body with the rapture and pleasure, uh, sorry, rapture and happiness, I have to doubly translate here, Um, born of composure. Nothing in the body remains untouched. And then the simile, (coughs) just like a lake with spring water welling up from within, you have to remember that this is a hot country, so this is, a, this is an appealing image. Um, just as a, uh, like a lake with spring water welling up from within, having no inflow from east, west, north, or south, and with the skies periodically supplying abundant showers, so that the cool fount of water welling up from within the lake would permeate and pervade, suffuse and fill uh, it with cool waters, there being no part of the lake unpervaded by the cool waters. Just so, the monk permeates this very body with the rapture and happiness born of composure and there is nothing of that body that isn't touched that way. Third jhana, with the fading of rapture, with the fading of piti, he, the monk, remains in equanimity, mindful and alert. It's different than what we usually mean by mindfulness here. And physically sensitive to happiness. He enters and remains in the third jhana. And of him the noble ones declare equanimous and mindful. He has uh, a happy abiding, a joyful abiding. He permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this very body with the pleasure Uh, divested of rapture, divested of piti, so that there's nothing of his entire body unpervaded uh, with that happiness, uh, divested of rapture. So he's got pleasure here, which the Pali is sukha, so I I mistranslated that. The the simile, just as in uh, a pond uh, with blue, white, or red lotuses, there may be some of the blue white or red lotuses which born and growing in the water stay immersed in the water. Their, they never, their petals never come above the water and um, they're immersed in the water and they flourish without standing up out of the water so that they are permeated and pervaded suffused and filled with cool water from their roots to their tips and nothing of those blue white or red lotuses would be unpervaded with cool water. Even so, the monk permeates this very body with the happiness divested of rapture. There is nothing of his entire body unpervaded with pleasure, etc., etc. Uh, fourth jhana. Furthermore, with the abandoning of uh, of happiness, as uh, says happiness and stress, but with the abandoning of happiness, as Uh, He enters and remains in the fourth jhana, purity of equanimity and mindfulness, neither pleasure nor pain, neither happiness nor pain. He sits permeating the body with a pure bright awareness, so that there is nothing of his entire body unpervaded by that pure bright awareness. Just as if a man were sitting wrapped from head to foot with a white cloth, so that there will be no part of his body to which the white cloth did not extend. Even so, the monk sits permeating his body with a pure, bright awareness. Uh, there's nothing of his entire body unpervaded by that pure, bright awareness then so these are called the first the, the form jhanas, the first four, and then there's four uh, what 's called formless jhanas we 'll talk in a lot more detail. I just want to briefly uh, give the buddha 's descriptions. Um, Then, after the fourth jhana, with the complete transcending of perceptions of physical form, with the disappearance of perceptions of resistance, uh, in other words, solidity, and not heeding perceptions of diversity, of of many things, of of manifoldness, he enters and remains in the sphere of of infinite space. The fifth jhana, infinite space then sixth jhana with the complete transcending of the sphere of infinite space he focuses on infinite consciousness and he enters into the realm of infinite consciousness sixth jhana formless jhana he enters and remains in the sphere um uh, he sticks with it, develops it, pursues it, and establishes himself firmly in it. So that's a strap line in this case. He sticks with it, sticks with that theme, develops it, pursues it, establishes himself firmly in it. After that comes the realm of nothingness. Seventh jhana, the realm of nothingness. So space has collapsed and there's just nothing but not a nothing in a space, not just an empty space. And then the eighth jhana is called the sphere, or the realm, or the base of neither perception nor non-perception, so there's not even nothing. It's very hard to put into language and to describe that. Right, Right at the limit of the possibilities of perception neither perception nor non-perception. I'm not even perceiving nothing. So very briefly, those are the eight jhanas, um, as the Buddha described them. So some of those descriptions are very limited. We're gonna have to fill that out and and, uh, we will do so as we go along. Um, Teaching is contextual, I find, so I uh, I would say different things. I will say different things depending on who's in front of me and dependent on what my sense of what you need is but also what your background is and what you might have heard elsewhere. So if we're talking about the jhanas, which we are, there would be things that actually I wouldn't even mention myself if it was just or emphasize if it wasn't likely that you had already heard um, this or that elsewhere or read this or that elsewhere and therefore you might be assuming that this or that is true or this or that is the case or that it therefore follows that something else. Uh, And I might not think that whatever that is or the assumption come from that is helpful. Um, So obviously I am going to be emphasizing in this retreat um, teaching from my experience of the jhanas and my experience teaching the jhanas. Um, and what seems to me, after many years of teaching the jhans, what seems to to me to be significant. uh, What opens up that treasure? What is the treasure here? What are the treasures here? What makes a liberating difference? Um, I'm going to be saying, I'm going to contradict myself a lot. Okay, so I'm going to say one thing, and then I'm going to say something that sounds like it's a complete contradiction. Um, So, for example, I might say, and I will say, these eight jhanas, it's really important that they're very clear and discrete, That there's a kind of quantum jump from one to the other. But at another time, I might say, you know, the whole thing is really one continuous spectrum, and it's really not that discrete. So don't get too hung up on that. Um, I might say uh, that some of us, some of you, maybe most of you, and maybe most people, um, really need to forget the whole question that goes on. Do I have it now? Is this it? Am I in a jhana or am I out of a jhana? And focus rather on enjoying, on just really maximizing your enjoyment and getting the most enjoyment in the moment and developing what needs to (laughs) develop to, to enable you to enjoy it more and just drop that whole question. Is this it? Where's the edge here? Do I have it? Don't dwell on where that sharp definition is. So I might say that, and then I might and I will also say something like, you know, when I, when we talk about jhanas as we're teaching it, um, we really mean something breathtakingly nice, breathtakingly... Beautiful. Um, really, a revelation. You know, if you've not experienced some, you know, the second genre even or the third jhana, it's really, uh, it's really a revelation. You might have had all kinds of, uh, lots of happiness in your life, been very content, and all kinds of things, wonderful things happened in which you rejoiced in, and lots of peaceful times, and nice holidays, and relaxing moments, and o- all that. We're talking about something of a whole different order. We're really talking about wow, wow. Um, something very, very beautiful. Something really exciting and you should be excited. I like people to be excited about practice. It's a good sign. It's a healthy sign. So I can think of quite a few instances over the years where someone's come to me and they've, um, well, it's I don't know how to say this. they have they've been exposed to jhana teachings elsewhere or whatever, and they come into an interview and in the context, and they said, and and then they're describing their experience or something, and they say, so I did, a, uh, then I think I broke through to the sixth jhana yesterday. And I was like, oh, how was it? And they said, yeah, it was nice. And I'm um, like, <laughs> no, <laughs> That's not, that can't be. It absolutely can't be. Now, either they're kind of, Faking a kind of Buddhist equanimity—I'm not supposed to be attached, so I will just say it's nice. But secretly, I'm like, wow. <laughs> <gasps> um, but in this person's case, I genuinely think it—it it, it just wasn't that big a deal. So we're not—that's not what we're talking about. So actually, those definitions do become quite important. We're really talking about something. Yes, it's—it's it's really something else, you know. Um, when when there isn't the excitement, when there isn't that kind of wow, it's not going to make a difference to your life. So this person's describing something. It might have been a relatively new experience, but there was nothing in that in that experience or having that that was going to make much difference to her ability to let go, to her life, to her sense of existence, to her sense of herself and world. It was just, oh, okay, that was a sixth jhana tick. Okay, w- I'm really interested in in all this making a difference. Um, so I might say that look, it's important that we're talking about this territory and not. And I might say, forget about all that, and don't, don't worry about the definitions. So, I'm going to contradict myself a lot, and I uh, reserve that right. <laughs> um, I might also say, on the one hand, look, it's not about um, just focusing more intensely, or nailing your mind, your attention, to something you know, for hours, and then expecting something to happen. It's not about prioritizing the intensity or the steadiness of focus. And I might also say to the same person at, at a different time, or to another person, more intensity, just more intensity to the focus, energize that focus. Most people, I think it's the first one, too hung up, explain this as we go along today, is and other days, it's too much thinking in the wrong way about what we're trying to do. We're prioritizing the wrong things, or prioritizing what's maybe, is the priorities we're making maybe not that helpful, not that fruitful. So why all this contradiction? Well, because the nature of all things is that we can look at them in different ways. That's partly what it means to say they're empty. can look at it like that, and it's true, and it can look at it like that, and it's true, and those can sometimes even be opposites. But partly also just because different people at different times, or the same person at different times, um, sometimes they need to hear this, and sometimes they need to hear that, regarding the same issue, and it might be, it might be opposite. And it's always the case with teaching. It's always the case. So uh, that's partly why it's interesting teaching a group. So in Q and A, I might say something, but the, someone sitting next to that person might need to hear exactly the opposite. Yesterday, I used this word uh, mastery. I just sort of threw it out there. It's a traditional word. I can't remember what the Pali uh, means. But let me say what I mean by my I said. We're aiming. Um, or I would like us to aim, or to think about, kind of mastering each jhana. So what I mean by that is a few few different components of that. I mean, like a really thorough familiarity um, with uh, all all the jhanas. But with, if we're talking about any jhana, like to say I mastered the second jhana or whatever, um, it means a really thorough familiarity and intimacy with. All of its aspects. So a jhana actually, it it can manifest differently. It has different aspects, different um, flavors and tones within it, which if I just dip in and dip out, I don't get to see, oh sometimes it's like this and it has that quality and that quality and these kind of different ranges of depths, etc. So at different levels within each jhana, so you can divide Certain jhanas into different levels, and they're, they're almost discrete as well. Manifestations, etc. I mean, a thorough familiarity with all that. I mean, also by mastery, I'm um, including in that meaning, really um, a whole set of skills, a whole kind of artistry that's involved with regard to that jhana uh, in terms of working. <coughs> I mean, also, thirdly, that one can enter it at will. One doesn't need to go, uh, let's say it's the third jhana we're talking about, you don't need to go number one, number two, number three, or breath, number one, number two, number three. You can actually just remember it. The, the, the cells and the chitta just remember it, and you just have a subtle intention, and it comes back, or a second jhana, whatever it is. I'm just intending for it to come, come up, and there it There it comes. So with a lot of practice, that's what I mean by mastery, as that's included. It just, you can go directly from nothing to any jhana, just with a subtle intention. It's not so much, doesn't need to be so much like a, f- you know, like that. It's probably more like a fader switch, more like a dimmer switch, yeah? Um, but that's partly what I mean. Um, it doesn't need to be preceded by its preceding jhanas, doesn't need to be preceded by its uh, base whatever base practice, springboard practice of metal breath or whatever you're doing. I also mean that you can um, access and sustain that jhana pretty much um, in any posture and when you're going for a walk. It means you're doing a loop around there for an hour in the lanes and you can be doing that pretty much in the fourth jhana or whatever it is if we're talking about mastery of the fourth jhana. I also mean uh, that that Ajana is part of mastery again. That you can really sustain it and remain in it. And uh, I'm going to come back to this. There's a word I want to use: marinate. Swedish and Finnish marinate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Do you know what marinate means? Yeah. yeah, Henrik. It's okay. Yeah. So. We, this is I'm going to come back. This is really, really important. We need to sit in a jhana a long time. It's doing a lot of work on the cells, on the being, on the chitta. Um, it's fine to go through for two seconds onto the weight. That's all fine. But the real work happens when we really, really just get in and sit there for a long time and really let that change our habits of, of um, our mental habits and, and our energetic habits. It's really uh, doing something different to mind and body, and that takes time, and it takes um, putting myself in it and staying there for a while. Mastery also means navigating. I can move um, from that jhana to any of the other jhanas that I already know, and I, can I don't have to go sequentially. So let's say I'm g- working on my mastery of the third, then I can go from the third to the first, or from the first to the third, or, or whatever. Yeah? or oh, the second so that includes what I call leapfrog I can leapfrog yeah so this is what partly what I mean it also mastery might also means that I can modulate so again if you go back to this idea that a jhana isn't really one thing it's a it's a territory it's a realm and like a lot of realms it has different as I said flavors aspects regions levels and, and I can modulate, move between those different levels, and actually eventually also bring in other qualities to mix with, like mixing cocktails. I can add a bit of this and a bit of that and get an get a even nicer cocktail or a different cocktail. Um, in that process of learning to mature, um, what I it probably will be the case that what I originally thought was, say, the first jhana, after I've gone through all that um, uh, mastery process by the time I finished the first jhana actually feels quite a bit different and I understand something different so as Ajahn Jeff used to say to me stick post-it labels on them at first you know those sticky labels they just come off it's like don't erect a whole sign that that's the first jhana say like okay I think this first jhana but let's just put a post-it label now and we'll go through this process and then it, they'll change over time as you work on them they also change retrospectively Once I get used to the third jhana, the first jhana is transformed indirectly by my experience in the by my repeated experience in the third jhana. Okay, so so we have to be kind of a little bit um, easy, loose with the labels. Uh, So, master, I mean that for all the eight jhanas. Um, Now, as I said yesterday, we are where we are. Each person is you're where you are, and what we're really interested in is in your your the what did i call it the playground at your edge your playground at your edge because that's the big picture eventually i want mastery of all that but we are where we are and we want the way i'm going to get mastery is by playing in that playground that's on my edge that's what's going to give me mastery of that playground and at a certain time when i get that mastery and then and then the playground just shifts either by itself or i just i just have to a little bit shift it and then i'm in a new playground and that's my that's my work that's my play that's my digestion yeah so that's the, that's the way I would like to think about this or encourage. So the Buddha has a sutta, I can't remember what it's called, but it might be even be called something like the stupid cow sutta, or something like that, um, the foolish cow. And very briefly, I'm not going to read it, because um, it's too long, but he basically describes a, a, a foolish, inexperienced mountain cow who's eating happily eating pasture in a field, and looks up and sees another field over there and thinks, oh, I bet the grass is nice over there, let me go down there and, uh, and I'll eat some of that nice looking grass. And because this cow is uh, foolish and inexperienced and whatever else the Buddha calls it, so the cow tries to do that, but actually is not very sure of its footing, even where it's standing, Gets stuck in some ditch or something between the field, can't get to where it was planning to go, that other nicer-looking pasture, can't get back to where it was happily eating before, and is just stuck in this ditch. Just so, monks. The blah, 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 blah. the idea is wait till you master a place before moving on. That makes sense. Very brief. Yeah. And now a contradiction. <laughs> Bec- so I would like to. That's mostly the emphasis, and sometimes there's really a kind of magic involved in all this stuff. You will, Sometimes you'll find, well just try, just try, just try something. You think, oh, I couldn't possibly get to, just try it. Sometimes the mind will just do something that you think, well, wow, that's amazing, you know. So, yes, mostly mostly this idea about mastery and playgrounds, and, and sometimes, again, some people are at different times, it's like, just try something that feels what it 's beyond you, yeah, so contradiction um, uh, once you really get into all this and, and if you will, if you have the patience and 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 really what boils down to the love and the desire actually uh, the most the if you have the love and the desire um, uh, the eros um, and and you want and, and you do develop this kind of mastery, then it really begins to feel like the jhanas. They're almost like dimensions of being, if, if you like. They're beautiful, amazing dimensions of being. Treasures, treasure realms, enchanted um, enchanted realms. And they're there and they're available for us. And this becomes a part of one's life and a part of one's sense of what existence is and what the cosmos includes. So they certainly give um, uh, a sense of dimensionality to our own being. But they also become almost cosmic, in a way. And, and one gets to feel that they are realms that are kind of already there. They already exist. Um, there's the tea bell. This is absolutely ridiculous. Um, should I just keep going and we'll check in and all right. And now you get to the juicy bit, you want it, yeah? <laughs> um, All right, so um, they, they really feel like they're realms that are already there, as if they're, they just kind of exist, like a realm exists. This begins to get obvious around the third jhana. It's much less obvious in the first or second jhana, but after a while in the third jhana, you really feel this is, this is like an enchanted parad- paradisical realm that's just sort of there, and I get the, the blessedness of being able to enter that and hang out in that. And, and come out of that, etc. And it's only that we need to kind of find them. They're there, um, uh, or they're like radio stations, you know, f- uh, like fre- frequencies. So um, sometimes you get on. Ra- ra- I never listen to the radio, but you get these presets, right? You, you can have you can put in Radio One or whatever it is, right? So it's just like that. Or the old style, where you actually tune the, 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 the thingy. So it's si- similar. It m- you might press the preset, and still it needs this fine tuning. You know. They used to have, the old ones used to have a, a big knob and a little knob that was the fine tuner. So anyway, it doesn't matter. They're like radio stations. They're in the air anyway. So it begins to be sort of like, I'm huffing and puffing to make this jhana happen. It's like they're there. And, and we sort of what we're doing is tuning to something that's already there. So, we can have this sense of them is what i 'm saying, okay, um, or I used to feel like it was a bit like a, a wardrobe, so it 's like you know you 've got your wardrobe of clothes and they 're all just lined up there, and you can reach in, okay today I want to wear my pink glitter onesie outfit and it 's right there, and I can just pull it and, and use it you know they're all they 're all kind of just available, so we begin to have this um, this sense of them so uh if you come to me at the end of a tree and say oh, I was fantastic i you know i never had any jhana before and i got to the eighth jhana um i'll say oh what a shame because i mean it's it'd be good obviously but but um it actually there was no there would be no way that you would have gotten into the way we're talking about with this playground and this kind of mastery and this is this is again, it's my opinion, my emphasis, this is what's really gonna make a difference. This is what's really gonna be a treasure that 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 affects the being. Okay. So going too quickly through we're not actually getting that treasure in the maximum value. Or it's a bit like going, you know, a tourist going on holiday and you sort of go and then your mobile phone, you take the photo of whatever it is and then you send it on your Facebook to your friends and they like and you like what they sent you and it's all like, okay, been there, done that, but it's not the same as really being there and, and, and living it. Um, so they're not kind of achievement badges. We really want something uh, so prof- such a profound treasure. We want it to work on the being. Uh, so we have to linger. We have to live there. We have to, as I say, marinate, um, absorb, not just get absorbed, but almost absorb the jhana itself into our being get to know it intimately so that the cell, the cells, the mind, the the habit patterns of mind, etc., and energy are affected Um, and in that way it makes uh, a really a long-term difference to to, to one's life, long-term difference. Um, So I remember talking to uh, someone reporting after another uh, jhana retreat that they did and it was their first time and um, and they said oh, I had a great time. And they just whipped through all of them. But it, it won't be, and, and this is a while later now, and I, c- I can tell this person it hasn't become a profound resource. Okay, so they had a good time in those 10 days or whatever it was. It, nothing has altered in their sense of existence. Nothing has altered from that jhana practice in their sense of existence of self and world. Maybe they didn't want anything to be altered in their sense of things because sometimes we get quite attached to our sense of how we think the world and itself. We're attached to a certain view, etc., philosophy, whatever it is. So, person had a good time, but so what? You know. So, mar- marinate means a long time and many times in in one jhana. It's part of the mastery. Okay. Um, there is. Some of you may not be aware of this. Some of you will be very aware of it, or, or a little less so. There's all kinds of opinions and arguments out there in, in the Dharma world about how to kind of demarcate, is this jhana, is that jhana, what did the Buddha mean, how do we define it, etc. Some of you will be not kind of oblivious to all that. Some of you will be uh, you know, exposed to that. All kinds of opinions. Do I have it? Is this it? Different teachers saying different things, writing different things. Who are you gonna trust? And why? How are you gonna, if you are exposed to that, difference of opinion, who are you going to trust and why are you going to trust? Or, or which, which version, which definition are you gonna trust? And, and but more importantly, why? Or if I change that question, what matters here? What's important? So we come to, there's there's all this, you know, charged opinion about this stuff. What actually matters here? So we could say, one could say, well, if your experience matches the Buddha's descriptions, as I just very briefly rushed through and read out, um, if there is, uh, you know, a extraordinary um, opening to uh, well-being or different kinds of well-being, if there's a really deep sense of different kinds of beauty, if there's a really profound sense of resource that's coming from that, um, if the practice of whatever it is you're doing brings in an integrated way um, insight and freedom, and, and, and it makes sense as part of the path in an integrated way, um, then if we need to make definitions and demarcations, that would seem pretty good to call that a jhana, right? If it's all that. And I can still improve its quality. I can still say, okay, that's a jhana, but I can still kind of Im- work on improving it so sometimes these all these opinions and and what we bring to these questions i have another question which is can i can i be more intelligent than i am being in relation to these questions some of you are not even exposed to the, all this stuff yet so you know why is he going on about that but some of you will be can i bring more intelligence to these questions um By intelli- I'll say what I mean by intelligence in a moment. Um, but I mean more than scholarship. Um, so uh, we're here. I'm I'm teaching this. I'm giving a certain emphasis and a certain range. I I would say you know. Um, I I I would say I, like I s- already said this. I teach jhanas, or the ta- jhanas that we're talking about here, are really breathtakingly extraordinary experiences. Um they lead naturally onwards. So there's a way organically that one jhana will just ripen and mature into the next, just as it sounds, just like um, what the Buddha described. And one has that sense as one's going to, say oh, wow, here I am, two and a half thousand years later, 2,500 years later. And, and my experience, I can really get the sense of what he's talking about there. If there is a, a kind of... Um, strong and deep uh, uh, um, building of confidence through these practices and love of the path, if those are fruits too that you can feel, if freedom comes out of it and a capacity more and more to let go, to be okay with more and more. If transformation comes, if insight that liberates comes and, and the insight that comes is congruent and integrated um, into the path all that it's like that's that's the package that I want to encourage but also that there is and again here's that word again responsiveness and intelligence um, that's part of the deal too so some jhanas, when some people describe them they're completely unresponsive states suppose it's so deeply absorbed, one, can't, one actually doesn't know where one's been and one can't make any changes or responsiveness within that state. I'm going to come back to this. Why would I want something like that? It might sound better, because it sounds better, doesn't it? Is it? Can we bring intelligence and boldness to our questioning? Something sounds better. A lot of people are saying maybe it's better. Is it better? So by intelligence, I mean a certain boldness. I also mean, I don't mean, I mean much more than scholarship. Well, I go back to the Buddha and this Pali word means that that's all good, but I mean more than that. I mean a wisdom to discern what is essential. So right now we're talking about jhanas, but this actually applies to the whole of the path. Can I develop a wisdom to discern what is essential, what is important? What's important to know? What's important to understand? What's important to develop? And what is secondary? So oftentimes this faculty is, is not very developed in meditators. People get emphasized, or I would in my opinion, I find a lot of students or whatever, emphasizing what's act, kind of mistaking what's secondary for what's primary emphasizing what's not so important Remember what I said yesterday about listening on your toes do you remember that like so all, all everything that I'm saying this should set you set you recalibrating rethinking reorienting what does that mean what do I you know don't please don't just be passive about it um, so this is actually quite a big deal. Do I have that wisdom to discern? What's, what's essential? What's secondary? Do I have a nose for it? Do I have a nose and in intuition and intelligence? Can I develop a nose for it? Yeah. Um, because sometimes some of these arguments that are there, it's like quibbling over what's insignificant, what's secondary. In the Anapanasati Sutta it says parimukham. The, the meditator, th- with the breath, sits down at the base of the tree and puts their attention, parimukkam. Parimukkam means something like around the mouth. So, so oh, okay, well, the Buddha means this, this is really the place to pay attention. And then people arguing about that, like, does it really matter? Is it really important? Does it make a difference? Does it make a difference if I keep the breath or my primary object? Some people say, absolutely, you can't let go of the primary. You if you're doing jhana, you need to keep the breath. You need to keep the primary object. Um, we'll see actually that you can do it both ways. We'll come back to that. Uh, some people say, it's only a jhana if the senses close, if you can't hear anything. Well, the Buddha didn't say that. And does it matter? Again, it sounds better. If I make the definition, it's only a jhana when the senses close, that sounds like it's, it's a better thing, right? Than if they don't close, would it, would you? And most people would say it sounds better. I don't know if it is. Et Etc. et cetera. I think what I want to say is, can we bring a kind of discernment and intelligence to these questions, which are important and which are not? What's important, what's secondary? The, what fruits will I get of pers- uh, from pursuing questions that are that are actually not that important? Taste the fruit, be nourished by the fruit, by the juicy flesh of the fruit, and not worried about the pips and the pith of the apple, etc. So, again, what are we going to do about time? I'm I'm, I'm ap- apologise I've. Um what should we do? Look Say it again. Well, some of you got to do tea wash-ups. That doesn't work, does it? Um, I'm going to try and finish in 20 minutes, okay? Or something like that. Does that sound okay? Then there should be time for tea. and because there's no one else doing tea wash up, it should be fine, you can just do it and finish by whenever, it doesn't really matter. Is that okay with people? Apologies. Um, So these questions are related to what is is our conception and what is our emphasis, what's the main point of jhana practice? Okay. Um, And again, if you read certain things or if you listen to different teachers either explicitly or implicitly you're going to hear various views um, from different teachers and and different teachings about what is the main point here of jhana practice. So for some people, for some teachers emphasize, we're really changing the habit of papancha. You know what papancha is? The mental proliferation the primary thing you're doing and the primary point of jhana practice is to change that habit and actually eradicate that habit of papancha. So the whole thing is really, the purpose is a movement to simplicity, to having uh, or developing a mind that's simple, that doesn't get complicated and embroiled in papancha. So that's one view. Now that might be explicitly stated or just you have to kind of listen a bit more to the totality of someone's teaching and hear, hear kind of, oh that's their thrust, okay. Another person said, what's the point of jhana practice? And it's really that what you're doing is developing a kind of power in the mind that like a laser beam, the attention can dissect phenomena because in dissecting them that's what insight is. I chop things I see them really, really fine down to the atomic details. And that's the point of jhana practice, is to develop this laser like attention. Or and or there might be combinations here. Someone might say, No. What we're developing in jhana is the ability to sustain unwaveringly the focus on something. Unwaveringly hold the mind or attention on something the assumption there is as if automatically holding the attention on something will reveal the reality of that thing, will reveal the way things are. If I can just stare at this thing long enough, it will reveal the nature of it. It will reveal the way it really is. Now sometimes this isn't explicitly said. You have to kind of hang out with the whole totality of person's teaching or a certain drift of teaching actually, well that's the assumption, that's how it fits in with with the whole path. Is that true? If I stare at um, an atom or let's say an electron long enough, just staring at it long enough will not, will not reveal the nature of the electron or, or anything else, if I stare at an egg long enough. Um, I have to do stuff with something and certainly in quantum physics, the electron. it's only when I start doing different things that I start to um, encounter uh, what's most interesting about the true nature of the electron. And I start to realize, oh, it's actually dependent on how I look and whether I look and what I do and what's around it. So it's not just staring at something. Again, why am I saying all this? Because so much we arrive at situations like this with the idea, it's really about how long can I stay steady with my attention on something I don't want to say that's unimportant, but I, I just want to shake up the sense of what we're doing and what's priority here and what may be important and may be less. Another another context might be someone very rarely stage by stage. You go through eight j- eight jhanas and then you go to the next stage, which is the experience of the unfabricated. That's quite rare, but it's there. Um, for me, I would say, as I said last night, there's. Um, uh, resources that come with the practice of the jhanas that really enable, really help us to let go. We say let go, let go, let go. Once I'm this rich in in this beauty, once I have these um, treasures available to me, it becomes much easier to let go. I don't need the food to be nice. I don't need this or that. I have, who, who cares? I have so much abundant, oh my cup runneth over so much overflowing well-being and delight and pleasure and happiness. I can let go of all kinds of things then. So that's one of the functions, this deep resource as I would see it. I can, I can let go of clinging to things. I also secondly un- begin to understand the whole process of fabrication of perception. How The mind can fabricate less and fabricate more. And in moving through the jhanas, I begin to understand that. That's also one of the reasons, one of the points. And a third reason uh, is um, the mystical openings, the kiss of the mystic. For me, that's a really important point and reason. I want my sense of existence my sense of world, of self, of other, to open up. And, and it will be in the impress and the opening of these beautiful realms and experience. That's a point for me. That's one of the main points. Okay. Jhanas alone will not liberate one totally. They won't bring you to the end of dukkha. And I think probably... I'd probably say most Dharma teachers would agree on that. There may be someone who disagrees, but I I don't know. Um, But I definitely say most people agree on that. Jhanas alone will not liberate totally. But I want to say, nor will insight alone. Nor will insight alone. Nor will both jhanas and insight, the combination. So. (laughs) Okay, let's end there. (laughs) Um, No, we need the combination. We need the combination. If we're really talking about big, wide, deep liberation, we need the combination of insight and and samadhi. And as I said last night, we need the psychological work. We're a whole different species now than we were in the Buddha's day. Yes, of course, there's lots that's the same. The whole way we feel ourselves, the whole aspirations of what and, and what we consider normal in human relationship and with ourselves and with others and of what we want from life i'm not going to go into that but there's a whole range of psychological work that if we're talking about liberation nowadays for us for you and me needs to include all that so yes samadhi yes insight and yes psychological work and yes the cultivation of virtues and the beautiful qualities, metta and generosity and compassion and all rest. Those four together, let's say. So why the jhanas and why the mastery? Because um, it's part of that mix. That's one reason. Because it's part of that mix um, and the jhanas when they're mastered will give More insight in relation to fabrication, they'll give more resources, etc. They'll give more of that. um, We open ourselves more to the mystic impress and the kiss of the mystic. But one thing I really want to emphasize, and a kind of uh, maybe a style or an approach that I want to emphasize. So I would say, or when I started reflecting, What do I really emphasize when I teach journals? Apart from what I've just said, I would also say, and you may have heard it and be familiar with it, I would say I would emphasize sensitivity, subtle discernment of different qualities of being, different qualities of heart, of energy, um, different frequencies of vibration and energy. Sensitivity, subtle discernment, refinement, attunement Uh, these are the things that I would really like to emphasize or bring into the picture of the way I would like to uh, teach and what I would like to communicate and kind of transmit all those qualities sensitivity attunement (coughs) subtle discernment refinement beautiful beautiful um, capacities of the soul so all those, plus this framework that I would like to give uh, 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 about the jhanas, they, they allow the jhanas of jhana practice to then fit in very easily and congruently and in a very natural, integrated way into emptiness practices. They just work, we're talking about the same thing, sensitivity, attunement, refinement, subtle discernment. We need all that in emptiness practices and the way they deepen. In soul-making Dharma practices we need sensitivity, subtle discernment, refinement, attunement, all of that. S- um, in emotional work, whether it's with, with ourselves or with another person, again we need sensitivity, refinement, attunement, subtle discernment. In healing as well, I would say healing the emotions, healing the heart, tho- Those those Capacities, capabilities are also very much part of what I would regard as part of healing. In relational skill, sensitivity, subtle attunement, refinement, In, you see how those same uh, kind of developments are actually part of jhana, emptiness, soul-making, emotional work, healing, and relational stuff. There's something very integrated here. But as well as that, and or and well more than that, uh, all this opens, the jhanas themselves, and this kind of why practice them, what I'd like to emphasize, something to do with the beauty of existence. So if you ask me, what's the point of jhanas? I'm, I wouldn't say, yeah, so you can really stay steady with something, and then you can be clear about what it is. Um, something about opening more and more or to more and more of the beauty, the beauties of existence, inner and outer. There's something, as I mentioned earlier, there's something of magic here, and again that's what I would like, we we start, you start to feel yourself as something of a magician, a magician in these realms, a magician who can, let's say, conjure these realms or who has access to these realms. There's something Of magic in the whole thing, and there's certainly something of art. And so this is the kind of flavor, orientation, scope, feel, attitude, view that I would really encourage, and those those are some of the reasons why. Um, So related to all this, you know, you can see that a person's emphasis or definition of a jhana is, um, of jhana practice, depends on their idea of what insight is. Sometimes there's this, um, uh, well, I'm going to have to leave that. Let's, let's leave a bit out here. Um, if I've got that idea that insight is um, uh, a kind of drilling down, a drilling down through the, the, the strata or layers of rock of kind of illusion or construction, then what do I need? I need a sharp tool, a laser beam. So I have the idea, Okay, then, then the idea I have of jhana practice needs to go with that idea of what insight is doing. So I view my jhana practice as the development of this super intense, super hard, sustained focus. Again, um, and, what, and what I tend to emphasize then in the teaching of jhanas is more intensity, more sharpness, more, more concentration, more focus. If I think of insight as seeing clearly, meaning seeing in more detail, then again, I tend to focus, I tend to think of the jhanas and emphasize in the teaching of jhanas um, something like that. Maybe I need to see in detail for my insight the process of aggregates in time. Maybe that's what I regard insight as. If I can just see the momentary arising and passing of, of the aggregates... The five aggregates in time, that's what insight is. And so my jhana practice needs to set me up so I can see like a magnifying glass and, I, and very fine and I can see that. If that's what I think insight is, if that's what I think ultimate reality is. You see, and we're working backwards here and it, impli- it makes an implication on what we think a jhana is and then what we tend to emphasize within the jhana practice. Or again, as if I, I said this before if i if I can just stare at something long enough the the the, reali- the truth of it will be seen because i'm just i'm just staring at it plainly if that's what i think if I think plain staring reveals reality, if that's what I think reality is something that is revealed with plain staring at plain looking at yeah do, do you get what Or or I'm sharpening my mind, so I just zip through eight jhanas back and forth and then do some insight practice. I've sharpened my jushri sword so I can kind of atomize things. There's a relationship here between uh, the way the goal is seen, the way insight is conceived of, the way jhana is conceived of, and then what we come to emphasize within jhana practice. That's why I said, but if I want a liberation that actually does have sensitivity in it, and attunement, and relational skill, and psychological awareness, and and wants to understand something about emptiness as uh, as something very different to do with um, ways of looking and fabrication, then I'm going to have to think about jhanas in a, in a very different way. Or rather, it's better, it's more congruent to think about them in a certain way. I'm rushing through a bit, but this makes sense, right? Yes? Um, so it's true. You can pick up certain phrases where the Buddha says in suttas, um, with his mind imperturbable, or um, with the jhanas you can cut through a mountain and all that. They're not that common, so, but they get extracted and then repeated over and over. And dependent on what you've been exposed to, you come to believe that's what's important, imperturbability, the unwaveringness. Do you understand? And actually, the Buddha just said it uh, in, a, in a little phrase once or twice in the whole Pali Canon. And somehow, over history, it comes to get repeated by teachers. Da, da, da. And that's what we think. Or no thought. We tend to think that's the most important thing. And I remember, um, after I'd finished a year retreat, and I did a went for a, a Dharma Yatra in France, and they said, well, will you come and tell the people about your year retreat? Um, and I said, sure, OK. And I think I just answered questions or something. I can't remember. But the first question was, "A year. Wow! Did you ever experience um, a time when the mind stopped thinking?" It was the first question. So yeah. As if that was the most important thing, and how how much we in our meditation get, to even if we get to think, oh, that's the, it's like we measure it by how much thinking there is. Is it going well, is it not? So these things are insidious, these, these meta-level views, and they get into the nuts and bolts of how I'm regarding this moment in the meditation. This moment, mm, I'm thinking, who cares if you're thinking? Does it really matter? Is the thinking making you miserable, or is it the view about the thinking that's making you miserable? Is that thinking even getting in the way of samadhi and well-being and bliss and ecstasy? Th- these things are really, really important and insidious. W- w- again, what does it mean to be bold? What does it mean to be intelligent? What does it mean to question these things? So what happens if we start with the goal? Start with the idea. Um, uh, now, people will construe that differently, where we're going, what awakening is. But start with the idea, insight. Um, what? What is... Insight means understanding something about the emptiness of things. I'm rushing through this now, but um, um, there are only ways of looking. There's no way, independently of a way of looking, that something really is. There's no way, there's no privileged way of looking. There's just ways of looking. Things are empty. Insight is 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 the practice of ways of looking that liberate and ways of looking that fabricate less. I'm going to have to. Rep- I'm intending to talk about this in a lot more detail. I'm just just going quickly now. Sorry, because I'm rushed. Um, what that means is that what we practice and what we're left with at the end of practice is malleability, malleability of perception, malleability of view, malleability of way of looking. This is a goal and and, uh, uh, a starting point in practice more than agility more than the ability to move quickly between the jhanas actually to really shape the view and let the view and the experience of things be shaped through a whole range and, and feeling the impact on perception. So the Buddha called the jhanas perception attainments. But we very rarely hear that because what we really get again what historically gets emphasized is no thought, imperturbability, laser like yeah but actually another just as commonly he called them perception attainments and what on earth is a perception attainment? So this I would like to emphasize perception attainment. We're training certain perceptions, and to think of it that way more than I'm training my concentration. Again, I'm going to contradict myself and say, train your concentration, etc. But um, what if we think about it? Is we're training certain perceptions, and and that has a significance uh, regarding emptiness that I will I will come to. So we're developing these resources we're cultivating virtues, we're uh, developing our psychological and emotional skills, and we're training uh, certain perception attainments. So if I want my awakening, my liberation to include, and some people don't care, but if you want it to include the beauties of sensitivity, attunement, deep intelligence, responsiveness, pliability, malleability, discernment, subtlety, how do we need to think about the jhanas and what we emphasize and how we practice them? And if you decide that you don't care about all that stuff, then that's fine. You can think about them differently. I'm going to leave some out uh, here. Um, So yes, definitely. We do, we do want to increase and develop our focus and our concentration, but we also, and oftentimes more importantly, are interested in this development of deep, profound resources, of training the perceptions. What does that mean? Um, uh, the relation of that with emptiness understanding, um, and the development of all these lovely Lovely capacities and capabilities of attunement, and sensitivity, subtlety of awareness, beauty, magic, art. Okay, sorry it's so long. Um, I finished, but we haven't talked about walking meditation yet, have we? No. So. We'll need to expand this gradually. And again, it's because I'm just going to be very brief. And it's because you're all in different places with different histories. If you're familiar with energy body, walking meditation is with energy body awareness. Okay. Actually, if you're already familiar with jhana, okay, then you can start. Here's, my, here's, one, here's one end of my walking meditation path. I'm standing. I stand as long as it takes to get, let's say, whatever it is, the, p- the PT or the well-being, the happiness. And I just hang out there. If it's nice, I'll hang out. I won't even walk. Okay, I'm just standing, and I'm in that. Okay, That's quite an advanced stage already, if you can just get there. And I'm just mentioning that. And then, if I do that, then I walk, and I'm concentrating in the whole body space on the piti, on the pleasure. I don't care about my feet. I don't care about the sensations. I'm walking back and forth with, with the pleasure. And that's what I'm concentrating on. If, if you're there already, most of you won't be. Um, if you know energy body already, same deal. I'm actually, OK, I stand, feel my contact, etc., all that. And then open the space and just what's the feel, what's the texture, what's the vibration of the energy body. And then I walk back and forth with that. And I have to find the pace of the walking that enables me to sustain that and get into that experience yeah so that might be really fast it might be really slow it might be in between it might change as I as I'm doing the practice yeah and if at any point I want to stop and stand and just get get it back again just stop and stand and get it back again and I might spend five minutes at the the, the end of the path for it doesn't matter what what helps me w- get that energy body awareness and helps me get into it and, and in touch with it? Do you understand? Um, it, if you're still not quite sure what the energy body is, then see if you can just walk up and down with a whole body awareness, okay? So just the sensations in the whole body. Not, In other words, in terms of our choice, the least preferable is just the sensations in your feet, okay? It, it's fine, it's good, and if that's... What you want to do or all you can do, that's great. But there's a kind of a movement here with, with, with maturation. Does this make sense? It's okay. Um, okay, last thing. The, the rhythm um, in the day of, of formal practice, sit, walk, stand. Um, we're going to say more about this much more later. But basically, again, it's, it's up to you. What, what feels like it's helpful right now? So if you're sitting and it feels good and you feel into it, sit longer. You know, you don't have to sit 45 minutes. You could sit just as long as it feels like it's productive and fruitful and you're having a good time. If then you begin to not have such a good time, see if you can just work with it. Play your edges. See if you can expand it. Okay, But basically, you're following what feels fruitful. And if you're out walking and you're just really into it and it's going really well, just stay walking longer, or standing, or whatever. Right. So there's a kind of rhythm that's individual and variable, and you're responsive to it, yeah? You have to be sensitive and responsive, OK? Um, and then there's this, you know, we talked about going for walks, and if you do yoga or qigong or whatever. Um, also, time to just chill out, have a cup of tea. Um, the day needs to breathe. In this kind of practice, the day needs to breathe. So we're going to sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk. May not be that helpful. It might be helpful for other practices. On th- on this kind of uh, practice, the day needs to breathe, and we need to be responsive. Different rhythms at different times. What's really what's really working right now? What's supporting right now? If this is the first time you've um, not not had a fixed schedule, um, then then set yourself a fixed schedule. You know, if 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 you're really feeling at sea. Um, and just go with that. But as time goes by, you'll you'll begin to be more fluid, and it will be more uh, more responsive. Okay, sorry, so long. I said, um, let's just sit for one minute together. <coughs> Thank you, everyone. Um, enjoy tea. There's no need to rush because <coughs> uh, it's only you guys or whoever it is doing the, the clearing up. So take whatever time you need and the whole thing just rolls. We were on an open schedule, yeah? Um, but the hall is open all the time. So enjoy tea. And um, are there any interviews tonight? No? No? Okay. So see you tomorrow. Yeah, okay. Sari has one interview. Okay. But um, <coughs> enjoy tea. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.